0: You know, the Rangers aren't doing so well this year, but the air conditioning is doing great. So, so that's one of the awesome things about it. You know, some things you use other things to make up for things, right? So good. All right. Well, let's get started. We are now, we are really in the home stretch now with the book of Revelation. This is chapter uh, 18, and uh, there's 22 chapters. And so who's counting, right? Yeah. Who's, who's keeping track of that? But uh, anyway, uh, what, re- so, what we saw last week in chapter 17, we kind of see it again now in chapter 18, is there's a kind of a, a revisiting of what we've already seen with respect to, remember, the eternity perspective that we've talked about that we take on in this life, but we, and we're certainly aware of what's going on in this life, and we're mindful of it, but we've got one eye on this life, and we've got one eye on eternity, and there are some days when I want to have both eyes on eternity and I want to have no eyes on this life, right? Maybe, maybe you and I can join each other in that. But, but it's this idea that we live in this world, but we're not of this world. And what helps, uh, helps remind us of that is the fact that we have, uh, heaven waiting for us. And again, it's not the idea of, oh, okay, I'm so glad I have heaven. You're, you're tough luck for you. You know, it isn't like that, right? But it's that we want to share, with others the joy of heaven, and we want others to to share in that joy. And so that's part of the impetus for us to always be mindful of the opportunity that we have to share Jesus with people. As uh, Pastor Coleman pointed out in the sermon this morning, for those of you in the early service, um, that we get the chance to kind of be Jesus in some sense, that we get to get a chance to live Jesus, and that that might open doors for the opportunity to um, for For people to see in us the hope that we have, and then um there's maybe an opportunity to share that hope with others, and of course the reason that we have we have that hope and so what's happening in in revelation seventeen and eighteen is there's a kind of a circling back to focus in on the sort of the end times in the sense of the end of the world, and that things are just going to go you know all over the map in terms of good or bad. But that at the end of the day, Christians can look at all of this with a radical mindset. That we can look at all of this and say, these are the things that are leading to that glorious end. And that glorious end is coming. And when that glorious end comes, then everything that we know in this life that is uh, sorrowful and and painful and struggling and all those kinds of things, they go away. And so what a sweet deal that will be, right, Um, as we look forward to that. But again, reminder... That we don't just look forward to the idea that we are um, oblivious to what's going on in the world around us, or that we're indifferent to it. We're not indifferent to it. We're affected by it. But by the same token, it in it, embedded in it, is the opportunity to uh, to share Jesus with others. Okay, so let's pick it up in chapter 18, and we'll uh, start here with verse uh, one. John says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. So we saw this a little bit last week too in chapter 17 where this sort of this fall of Babylon. And so we remember that in John's day, Rome had not yet fallen. And so he is in a more narrow way looking at uh, the idea of Rome itself, I mean, that was considered to be Babylon the Great. And that harkens back to the Old Testament reference to uh, the kingdom of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, filled with idolatry, all about idolatry, and then all of the uh, sexual immorality and the the uh, prostitution, temple prostitution that went with that. And so then here, you know, 800 years later, we have Rome kind of doing the same thing, uh, as Carl mentioned, kind of a a cyclical sort of uh, idea. So Rome hasn't fallen yet. So we, we think of it in that narrow sense, but if you think of it in the broader sense in terms of the worship of the dragon and the beast, the, the uh the dragon being Satan and then the beast being the anti church or the anti Christian uh emphasis or the anti Christian power in the world. If you think of it in that broader sense, it still is all about idolatry. And when 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 people and nations and uh and religions give themselves over to something other than the worship of God, which includes the gospel as part of it, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then what ends up happening is that inevitably it becomes idolatry, and inevitably that becomes all about me. It's all about, when you think about idolatry, at the end of the day, there might be these graven images of some God, of what people think is the God. But at the end of the day, who is the ultimate God? Who is the God of idolatry, ultimately? Me. Yeah. I'm the one that gets to decide what is good and evil. I'm the one that gets to decide what is right and wrong. I'm the one that gets to decide how uh, the life is going to be lived, not only for me, but also for everybody else. Okay? So really, it kind of stands in stark contrast to the worship of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because there it's all about God, and the manifestation of that worship is in service. There's only self-service here, and there's uh, service of God over here. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so I just kind of put that up on the board as a as a way for us to think about that. Now, what do you make of uh, this uh, uh, mention of Babylon as becoming the dwelling of demons, the haunt of every impure spirit, unclean bird, unclean detestable animal some of that is language that was coming out of the old testament that's not really language that we think of um old testament dietary laws were very strict about what you could eat what you couldn't eat um that's not so much for us today although i am on a new diet did i mention that to you yeah i am on an i've lost a little weight i'm uh so the the detestable foods for me the unclean foods are uh uh, uh sugar Okay, that's a big one. Uh, wheat. Yes, and what's killing me right now is I can't put any half and half in my coffee. That's, uh, that's, I'm dying on that one, yeah. But uh, I'm on the very beginning, so I'm just telling you that, so partly so you can sort of hold me accountable and feel pity for me at the same time. So. <laughs> Okay, so if I if you see that I look a little slumped over from time to time and, you know, just feeling kind of dragging a little bit, if you'll come and sort of perk me up, but please don't give me any chocolate. I'm not ready for that just yet. All right. But these uh, the mention of the unclean and the detestable, that would have been uh, made perfect sense to the Jewish Christians of John's day. It doesn't so much uh, speak to us. But in a meta sort of way, when you look at it, what it says to me is that everything that idolatry touches is corrupted. You can't decorate it enough. You can't airbrush it. The only place that you can do that and get away with it is on social media. And that's with people that are naive and people that are, uh, attracted to the, to the outward aspect of it, to the glamour of it, to the celebrity status of it. Okay. But if you look underneath, there's nothing there. And that's what he's really talking about here in terms of what had happened in Rome or what happens to any entity that gives itself over to the worship of self. If you think about it just from that perspective, and I know I'm picking on social media a lot, but I, I, I kind of feel like that um, that's become the evangelistic arm of idolatry in the modern age is that what if you want to feel good about yourself what do you need to do on social media not that any of you do this i know but you probably know others who have okay if you wanted to feel good about yourself what do you do on social media if you want to gather a lot of people who would have some uh, sympathy for you or would have some uh, empathy for you what do you do Hmm? Post it. you post it and what is it that you post that would certainly garner that
1: all the things are running now.
0: <laughs> well, for sure, all you have to do is name a situation where you were treated unfairly. Okay? If you do that... I guarantee you, you'll have a million people and and everyone will say, oh, yes, not only is that sad that that's happening to you, but let me tell you how much more it's happened to me. And so we sort of gather a congregation together, right, of people that are like-minded in the one thing that they have in common, okay? So there's plenty of opportunity to do that, but again, the problem with it is that ultimately it's centered on self, Right. And after the, I guess to say it this way, after all of the hoopla drifts away, what are you still left with? So it's a little bit like the parable of the prodigal son. Remember, he he had the glamour, he had the money, he had everything he had going for him. And and as long as he had all that, he had all his friends with him, right? And then what happens? No more money, no more friends, no more uh, celebrity and he's by himself uh, feeding the pigs. Okay, so again, it's just this idea that when when life is all about me, what that does not do is engender a sense of true hope and true security. So that what you end up with is hopelessness and insecurity, which then you attempt to sort of cover it all up with all the extra stuff, right? But when all that extra stuff goes away. Right. Or you're stuck in the hospital with a illness that you can't fix, all of a sudden all that control that you have and all that notoriety you have, somebody else is in charge, right? So again, it's mindful of what idolatry does if you give yourself over to that. Well, in this part of Revelation, some folks have given themselves over to it. For the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her idolatries. Could we say that much of what's going on in the world today is maddening? It's maddening. You know, I saw that word and I thought, gosh, that just, when I think of the absurdities of things going on around us, the lack of logic, the lack of of what's reasonable. Um, I'm thinking, for example, what's going on over in Afghanistan if you want to if you want to think about something that just kind of blows you away so so we were over there for 20 years that i mean that we needed to do that but now that we're pulling out the taliban have come in and now isis k is the enemy of the taliban because Years ago, they got upset. Some of them got uh, disenfranchised with Taliban and started their own group, okay? That would never happen in America. People wouldn't start talking. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, But the absurdity of it is is that the friends, who are the friends of friends and the enemies of enemies? And just when you think that you got it figured out, then something happens and it turns upside down, and now all of a sudden we have to make friends with the Taliban so we can get our people out of there, and then while we do that, we're watching for the other enemy that we thought was our enemy for 20 years. Okay? It's maddening. Okay? It's maddening. All right? So he says, The kings of the earth committed adultery, and uh, the merchants of the earth grew rich from their excessive luxuries. Okay, let's go to the next verses. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her cup, her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as throned in king, enthroned as queen. I am not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her." Now, another voice from heaven. So this is suggested to be Jesus, okay? Before it's been the angels uh, doing and speaking, but now we have another voice from heaven, Jesus, who is calling out to the believers who might have aligned themselves in some way with the kings of the earth or with, in, in the greater sense, the Babylon, the great. And so notice what he says. He says, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. How would you accomplish that? What would that mean to come out of her, my people? Don't associate with them. Associate with them okay, that would be one way to do that. Kind of hard to do that in the world, though. We're in the world still. We rub shoulders with unbelievers. We rub shoulders with idolaters. We certainly rub shoulders with people who have given them their lives over this direction rather than uh a trinitarian life so you could and in many cases many situations in history people have attempted to do that they've gone out into the wilderness and started monasteries or started um you know uh sort of retreats uh to get away from the world to escape the world so that would be one way to do it and some people have done it um, part of the problem is that no matter where you go, you always take you with you, right? Yes. That's a real profound statement there. But it's it's the idea that because I have a sinful nature going with me, it's almost inevitable that what would happen if I go out in the woods and start a uh, retreat area, and then I welcome other sinners who come out there with me, what might eventually happen? We all are still sinners, right? I mean, we still were believers, but still is that old sinful nature, that pesky thing comes comes with us. But the idea of getting away is one way to do that. What else? I, make a statement of your faith, okay? Yeah? Uh,
1: repent and turn to God in prayer and
0: of the Bible. Okay, so the idea of strengthening one's faith um, partly also to maybe perhaps grow a little bit more discerning about what it is out there that is part of this uh this kind of worship over here. Remember again one of the one of the uh purposes that the dragon be two beast um can ga- gommer here is deception is to deceive people who are not suspecting in terms of what they're really about, so they paint the picture of themselves as being churchly. They paint the picture of themselves as being very much about God. Let's use the example in Mark 7 today in the Gospel reading, for those of you that were there. That was beginning to happen in Judaism as the Pharisees, who were all about these uh, These rituals and these man-made rules that had come out of their understanding of the Ten Commandments. That was called the korban, C-O-R-B-A-N. And the korban was this collection over the years of rules and regs of which washing your hands ritually before you almost do anything was a part of it. Well, you can see where by the time Jesus came along, their worship life and their sense of what a life with God was about was more about following the rules than it was about examining their own heart. So, uh, someone who's not uh, discerning that could easily easily be pulled into that, thinking, "Well, that's what the worship of God is really about. That we just have to make sure that we do all the rituals, we do all the traditions." Yeah, Carl.
2: Well, one of the key reasons of my life that my wife and I come to this church. Is that at least once a week we can get away from the deceptive discussions that are going around us yeah. and come back to Scripture, the baseline that this church holds so dearly. Yeah. Uh, thank God for Messiah
0: Yeah, we and thank God for LCMS in that sense that the affiliation that we have with um, the Scriptures from a biblically conservative place. So,
2: to answer that, my answer to your previous question is just
0: that. Yeah, yeah. It, and part of it is to stay in the Word so much more now, maybe, than we ever thought that we needed to. I mean, not that we ever didn't think we need to. But you know how it is in life. Sometimes you go, "Uh, okay, an hour on Sunday morning, that'll do it for me. and And really, actually, I think in the complex world that we live in today where there are so many more messages coming at us in so many different ways. Social media might be one of them, but just, just all the different messaging that's going on, how many different voices do you have in your head, right? And so how do you make sure that God's voice is the is not the only voice, obviously, but that it's the prominent voice so that you can run through everything you hear you can run that through the filter of the word where we're actually literally able to say or even sense in ourselves you know when you hear some some false thing going on or something that is questionable you kind of feel it inside of you and you go mm that just didn't that just didn't sound right i describe it as uh, my little lutheran hairs on the back of my neck <laughs> okay And, you know, again, it's, I've been in this a long time. So, but there's just that, like, oh, that just didn't, that just didn't, that just didn't come through right. Okay. And so then we're in the word and we're in conversation with, uh, with other godly people, with other biblically conservative people about that so that we don't get pulled away. And the pulling away for a lot of people doesn't happen all at once. It's not like falling off a cliff. It's like incrementally, tiptoeing into the quicksand, thinking, oh, this won't hurt me, you know, because I'm strong enough and because I've been Lutheran forever and because, because, because. And so the next thing you know, you're in the quicksand up up to your waist, right? And then it occurs to you that you're in the quicksand. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier if I just didn't go in the quicksand to begin with, right? Yeah. Tim.
2: Well, I was always thinking, like, uh, I always start my morning with devotion time because it's like the Snickers commercial, you're not you when you're hungry. I'm not me when I haven't had my devotion time. But I always think about it's always sharpening the sword every day because, like God says, I come so you have to to fill us. And, I mean, with all the messages out there, with everyone out there being for themselves, I mean, starting each day with God's Word, number one, gives us good discernment to walk wisely so we can live yeah. A life that's abundant into its fullest. And also, number two, loving our neighbor. It's, I mean, we come across someone who's kind of tied down chains of sin, whether that's because of neglect or harsh words or something in their life blows them down. It's like carrying the sword can help break the chain. Mm-hmm. You, know, you
1: witness them and uh, give them discernment.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was talking to somebody this morning who said that um, they always get up at 5 a.m. every morning which I thought was a miracle in itself but <laughs> I thought I, I totally can't relate to it at all what you're saying yeah, but but then he said that that uh, the first thing they do is turn on the news no. No. except on Sunday they don't do it on Sunday so I thought I thought to myself and I actually encouraged him you know maybe it'd be a good idea to dial back some of that turning on the news because there's really hardly anything now, I mean, there's important stuff, I suppose, but, but it's cast in a negative light, and it's cast in the light that is, is designed to create an uptick in your anxiety level. So, you, you, like, for example, for me, the trick words that grab me every time, and I go, Jim, stop doing that, stop doing that, while I'm doing it, okay, are the two words, breaking news. <laughs> I am the sucker for breaking news. You know, it's like I feel, oh, I oh, reach for the phone, you know. I mean, that's kind of how that is, right? And then if I don't, then my brain is thinking about the breaking news that I'm missing out on. And, you know, God, I need to know. I need to know. I mean, so, see, that's how, boy, talk about, you know, how how much that can grab you and how addictive that can become. So so there just is this, this idea that there's all these things going on around us, and so then how do you stay within yourself? And then how do you keep the self that you are within uh, surrounded by God and God's word? And so this idea of start, uh, starting the day that way, um, when, when our daughter Sam was little, it was near impossible for us to do that. It was really hard to start the day when you have like a little kid running around and then you're trying to get ready for school and it's just like, oh, chaos. But now that we're like empty nesters, that's one of the things that we've gone back to. And we really like it. We have our morning coffee with each other and then we have a Bible and we have different uh, different devotional things that we do because um, we like a little bit of variety. We don't like just the same thing all the time. Um, but we do different things and it doesn't last very long. It's just like, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes, but, but there is an opportunity for some conversation and discussion. And then Vicky gives me my list for the day. So it's like, <laughs> it's like really the perfect combination of things. And then I'm in a, you know, fairly good spirit to be receptive of the list and then write the things down that I'm supposed to do. So currently there's 12 things on the list. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, when I was on vacation, while I was away, I got two of those things done, and so I bit, put check marks on them, you know, that I did. And then what I did was I added a bunch of stuff at the bottom that I had already done, and then that way,
2: <laughs>
0: that way, see, then I could sort of demonstrate, have a little self-esteem for myself in that moment, so. All right, so anyway, so notice he's saying, come out of her, my people, so that you don't share in her sins. It's kind of That's an interesting phraseology, isn't it? Because it sort of suggests that you could share in the sins of those who have given themselves over to idolatry without necessarily making the choice to do it, or that you would somehow have done that intentionally. That it's almost like guilt by association, almost in some sense there. And so he just says, you know, so that you won't share in the sins, so that you won't receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven. And look at this phrase, and God has remembered her crimes. Wow. Now think about that in, in really stark contrast. To go down to point B here, Isaiah forty three twenty five. He says I even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and does what? remembers your sins no more. That's a pretty astonishing aspect of God who knows everything and yet chooses to do what? remember your sins no more, okay? It in some sense it the, the word remember there is not so much of the cognitive activity of oh I forgot that you sinned. It is it's not so much that as much as it's the idea that I'm not going to hold your sins against you. Okay? I'm not going to I'm not going to put you into the state of punishment for your sins because what forgiveness does and what grace does is it covers all of that. Okay? And so that's, a, that's why it's a little bit hard for us from a human perspective to think, gosh, how could you not remember? You know, how could you? How could, and But God can do that. And that's what God is saying, is that he knows we're sinners, good heavens, he knows. But he chooses not to hold it against us. And then therefore, we're not in a state of his wrath, but we're in a state of his grace but that's so different that's totally opposite what we're seeing up here in verse uh in verse 5 their sins are piled up to heaven and god has remembered her crimes so when when entities or governments or people or powers or whoever it is when they give themselves over to this in that idolatrous form then yeah god remembers them but the nature of the memory is all the things they did wrong all the things they did wrong and what's interesting is that when you look at Matthew 25 the the story of the uh or the account of the end of uh, judgment day all those things that they did wrong gets mentioned you know all the things you thought you were doing right mm, was wrong and all the things that you did wrong <laughs> here it is okay and that's not at all the uh, vision that is given for for believers and that's what that mention is For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Okay, let's go to the uh, next page, verse 9. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, so that's the Babylon thing, okay? They will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry. Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon! in one hour your doom has come. So again remember the the mention of a time frame one hour doesn't mean like one hour but it means just a a designated time doesn't last forever. But once a once a a, a city is destroyed then it's destroyed and so then that's the end of that uh, that time frame. Okay? The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages. and notice this one, human beings being sold as slaves. So who now gets hit? Not just the kings of the earth and those who who uh, feasted off of what they thought was the benefit of the dragon and the two beasts, right? In this case, Rome, but others. Now who also gets hit are the merchants of the earth. And notice they have all the goods, but now the goods are a curse instead of the commodity being a blessing, okay? Because nobody is going to buy those things. Now, I want, I, I want to include a little note here on that phrase at the end, human beings sold as slaves, because literally the the Greek, the Greek there is just a little bit different, a little bit more nuanced that I think is important for us, okay? Because literally it reads the bodies and souls of men. So for whatever reason, the translation that we're using here doesn't mention the souls. And so one of the things that we, and I just kind of put it in the form of the note, is that merchants who bought and sold slaves as commodities, and then those who profited refused to acknowledge the spiritual presence within the person. So the, the heinousness of slavery in, in his day, and maybe we could you know think about that too in our own American history, is that it looked at people in an indifferent way. It, when you look at people in, indifferently, okay, it's like you're looking at them and you're not regarding them as people. You're not regarding them as human beings. Human beings have souls. And so apparently what was happening was that the treatment of people who were uh, sold into slavery and used in slavery, that the justification of that was was that this is not really a human being. This is or maybe only half a human being. And so then, therefore, we can treat that person without any thought of the spirituality of that person. Okay, And that's pretty deep, right? So it that to some degree that is a statement here against I think the treatment of people as slaves, right? And we're not just talking about racially here because obviously in uh in uh in the days of the Roman Empire there was a lot of slavery that went on in terms of they would have wars and then when somebody was a conquered people then they would they would uh drag people into slavery and and to to some degree there have been many 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 over the years um, uh, uh, countries where slavery was uh, was, and some of it was part of their religion they would capture slaves in order to have people that they could sacrifice to their gods so there was just a lot of that th- kind of thing went on but it just really, it really struck me for some reason in a real deeper way here just this idea that the bodies and souls of men were like hmm, no big deal, hmm, who cares, right? And there's, that's an indifference. And I, I hope that we don't get to that point these days where we become indifferent, you know. Um, maybe an example of that would be in a softer way, not soft, easy, but just softer, is when you are driving in Dallas or like if you drive in Fort Worth or Arlington and you come up to an intersection And there's somebody standing there with the cardboard, you know, homeless help me. And, you know, I need, there was a guy yesterday, I was driving, uh, I forgot where I was going. I was driving down in Arlington. And there was a guy, he had this big cardboard thing. And he goes, to tell you the truth, I need a drink. (laughs) I thought, you know, that's pretty entrepreneurial, you know. Because that guy wrote down exactly what every one of us is thinking is, oh, the only reason you want that, you're saying you want water or whatever, but really what you want is a beer or something. So I thought, oh, that was pretty cool. But <laughs> what? I, you buy it, right? I didn't, you know, I just. So, so, okay. So let's, let's talk about this. Okay. So how do you, how do you respond to people in need when you see that? Because I know I've done my share of that where I just, I can barely look at the person because I just feel so bad inside. And yet I'm very hesitant to give them anything, partly because I don't know where that money's going to go, right? And yet at the same time, I feel a little bit like, you know, the priest in the Good Samaritan guy who's, you know, I'm on my way to church and I don't have time to stop and help you. I mean, that just convicts the socks off of me every single time. Okay, so... So how do you how do you what do you do with that? Because I think that is same. Tim. I'll get to other people before I get to you. Okay, how do you do that? Let's see who else we can get after here. Yeah, Kim. If I have time and I know I have
1: an extra bottle of water in the car, I'll just
0: give. Okay, if you have some time, then you'll give them water. Yes. Yeah. So you know when you give them water, then you're noticing that they're there. And when we notice that people are there, then what we're actually doing is not treating them indifferently. Indifference has to do with treating people as if they're invisible. Right? I'm looking right through you. Yeah, Mark.
1: Years ago, uh, I was thinking the church had the same thing somebody needed help. And they went too far from the church. They directed them back to
2: the church. There's plenty things to help you out what they're all about, helping you. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. It's one good response. It's a little less personal, but it is one response: is to say our pastor is here and he'll he'll help you. Not that we always can, but yeah, okay. What else? Yeah, Max. Well,
1: it's funny, uh, we were in Savannah the other day. Yeah. Just
0: got back. Oh, you guys were in Havana? Wow. Savannah. Oh, Savannah Okay. <laughs> I thought Havana. Yeah, I want to hear about that. Yeah. For those of you that've been there, you know you're walking along the waterfront, to the restaurants and everything, and sure enough, there is some men with signs. Yeah, so on sure. The right hand is a guy that
1: says, "I like beer." Yeah. On the left side is a Vietnam vet that
0: had a Vietnam veteran in need of help. Yeah. So we had a decision to make. Right. Which one are we going to help? Sure. Are we sure. going to get money? Both? No, uh-huh. Just walk past? Right. Them. Most people were just going right past uh-huh. them, you know, uh-huh. like they were hollow men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, my heart said, go to the
1: Vietnam vet and okay. give him some money. And, yeah. money. you know, when you did, his eyes oh, just light up because he knows you're recognizing right. him. He right. said, God bless you, which was really good. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. So, again, it, it, th- I think there's always that possibility that somebody could be gaming that system. and all, I mean, that's all the kind of stuff that we always think about. But at the, at the end of the day, maybe there's a way to help without, and that it shouldn't be helpful. So just an example, our church uses, uh, we uh, designate part of our budget goes to uh, network and some of the other entities in the area where we know that if somebody needs help that we can send them to them. They they go through all of the background checks and that kind of thing to vet the person, kind of make sure that it, there's a legitimacy to it. Um, it's not... a it's not judging the legitimacy of their intent but it's measuring the legitimacy of what they actually end up doing and so that's an important thing to do when when you think about uh think about that but i like all your ideas with respect to the individual ways that we can we can see people instead of looking right through them is kind of what we're talking about here yeah yeah i think that to me it's
1: more you know, we have a certain amount of commitment to, when we did that, red letter Bible study.
0: Yeah, I remember that, yeah. So,
1: you know, I've kind of set aside, okay, these are the things that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm going to
0: say it's part of the budget. It's just part of what we did. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then I have made a, made a, a practice when I had my grandchildren over to get them involved mm-hmm. in
2: doing
1: it. Mm-hmm. Um, but i have to say this particular passage that you're talking about. Yeah, this one at the end. What what struck me um, is when we have conversations with people Mm -hmm. about immigration and they focus on the person's legal status, to me uh, that's looking right through them. That Um. is denying that they're a human being Mm -hmm. and I don't know what's going on in those countries. Right. I have a kind of suspicion it's not good. Right. And this shapes my response. Sure. I mean I I I think it's a cop out to say they're here illegally. No, they're a human being, the soul.
0: Yeah, I think I think the dilemma we can probably get into this like in more depth at another time. But the dilemma is how when and this is, I think, a dilemma for everybody as a Christian, particularly when um, we have that verse floating through our heads about love your neighbor as yourself, you know, that part. How, how do you weigh that and put that into a sense of the national policy of a, co- a country, and then what do you do with that with respect to the individual responsibility? So it would seem like that um, the idea of having, you know, solid borders and all that kind of stuff is, is good part of security but once people are here how are you going to treat them and so the the issue of whether somebody's legal or not to me does matter but it doesn't matter in terms of whether or not i determine that that person is worthy of my attention okay so that's kind of how i look at it is that it's more of a both and not not an either or and i'm real comfortable with the idea because i'm Oldest in my family, real follower to the T, which is so annoying to my sisters. But um, the idea of legal, illegal makes a difference to me, but not in terms of how I'm going to treat you. And so I think that's what he's getting at here. Because in John's day, grabbing people for slavery was legal. You know, that was a national polity. That's how they got it. That's how they got stuff done. Okay, So it was legal. But then they were using that as a way... Of not seeing somebody as a person, and that's how you justify it. Well, it doesn't bother me if you're not a person. Okay, if you're not in the status or the strata of the uh, the way Roman society was set up, there were the it's like it's like a caste system. The people at the top were the wonderful people, and the people at the bottom were the pariahs. And the pariahs means that you don't touch them, you don't go near them, you don't go talk to them. And the only thing they're good for is slavery. Now. We might have some of the same strata in our own society and the way we do things and the way we look at people. And what I'm hearing here is every single human being has a soul. Every single human being is a person, and that needs to convict us, okay? Whether that determines national policy is a different gig, because in my mind, that's a church-state issue, or that's a state issue, not necessarily how I'm going to treat you issue. Okay, so I do separate the two. Yeah. And I
1: had, a,
2: had an interesting experience just two weeks ago. Yeah. Pulled up to a guy on
1: the street corner. Mm hmm. He
2: was standing there begging. Yeah. Right behind him was the store.
0: Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> we love Jesus, but I don't think we love those adult leaders. There. that's it. What... <laughs> hey, that was pretty great. That was pretty great. What were we talking about? I can't remember. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Street corner,
0: and here's a fellow with sign. Yeah, and
2: right behind him was a, a business. Yeah, with a hiring sign. I so that's I opened like the, the window and I said, "Well, there's a job right there." He said, "Frankly, I can make four times as much standing right here." <laughs> yeah. Now it, uh,
0: it it's really hard. It's hard to tell. But here's here's but here's a good thing, Carl. Yeah, but here's a good thing. Okay, you talk to him.
2: I mean, I was
0: about ready to give him some. Money. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. He's an entrepreneur. I know, I know. It again, it's just, but again, not to get into. Oh, they should just get a job, okay? Because not everybody's employable. All right, but it's just to say, it it may is it maybe the idea here is for us to be thinking about what are the obstacles that we put up, not that other people do, but that we put up that then causes us to justify the idea that when we look at somebody, we don't see a person because we're looking right through them. So I would sort of challenge us to think like that, to think maybe my bias is, maybe I'm more prejudiced than I really admit. Maybe I am so firstborn that I think, you know, go earn it. You know, maybe that's, you know, you got to look at yourself and you're not beating yourself up. You're just being honest about it because if if you can identify the obstacles that you're putting up you can do something about it see nobody's imposing those on me if i'm putting them up i can take them down right but if i'm going to do that then i at least want to be responsible i want to be a good steward i want to be all that stuff you know that i that i believe in and that i preach about and teach about i want to do the same thing in my life but i also want to do it in a way that um is is connected to the person. Yeah, Tim.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, we're talking about listening, right? We're talking about being attuned. We're talking about, as like we did earlier, our morning devotion with God. Yeah. Time, right? mm-hmm. So We are drawn closer to Him to be a little more attuned to what He's convicting us. Because every yeah. time you pull up to the light, you see the guy standing at the sign, and the light can't turn green enough, pretty fast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's God telling you, hey, listen to me a little more. Because that's what I'm starting to do. Just
0: just listen. Yeah. It's
2: something you, need, you need give him twenty dollars or help him out whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Light turns green. I'm going. Right. I mean, that's, right. He's got the, yeah. the thing on that, it. but it's not like sitting there with your family and talking about how to help another family. Yeah. This is that split moment decision. That it is. Be yeah. In tune to what God has to say, and like you said, uh-huh.
1: looking at it.
0: Definitely. Yeah. It it's is. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. We Lois. A lady last
1: Sunday, right out here.
0: Oh, we did? Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, and Denise followed them. Yeah. They went to another church uh-huh. after they left here. Okay, you know, I went and talked to her.
0: Did you? And
1: she had her nails were done, she had a really nice
0: back,
1: she had a nice dress on. So I really did. I just asked her what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and I did, and it turns out her husband was sitting in the car on the phone while she stood out there doing that and then yeah. she went back to the car and loaded everything up. He didn't even like help her. And I told her I'd pray for her. I said, you know, I asked her if she believed in Jesus and I told her they should go inside the <laughs> church. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just, um, and I told her, I said, I do not respect your husband. He's prostituting you out here. And I said, I'll pray for you and I, I left. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking she's sitting there with a baby, and um, I was going to go buy groceries. You know, I was yeah. definitely going groceries. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, you know, I, you know,
0: they said they need money for rent. Because in that way, you know, you can't buy groceries. Right, grocery, right. You know? But I, yeah. I Well, and there there are different ways to provide assistance without it being a cash thing. I mean, you know, gift cards. And, and one of the things in our church that I think is just the coolest thing ever is that uh, uh, routinely, not even periodically, but routinely, Um, Pastor Coleman receives, uh, mostly through the Board of Elders, but just uh, also individuals, um, give him gift cards so that uh, we can assist our own church members, of course, and our own family, our church family, but also people outside who need uh, some sort of assistance. And sometimes you can't do it all for people. But again, what, what I guess what I'm getting at here is not as much what you give in the form of some material assistance. But what you're giving in the form of a spiritual moment with that person is when you look in their face and you see a person. Because where you see a person, there you see a soul. It's a, That's a spiritual thing. That's not just, oh, human, human, but that's a spiritual thing. Okay? So just, you know, I can tell kind of by our conversation that, that we're all pretty aware of these sorts of situations, and then how do we respond? How do we do that? And what does that look like from our uh, faith perspective? Yeah, one more, Armin.
3: Well, uh, incident and a thought. I could please real quick. I I was coming. I
0: worked downtown Dallas for a long time. And yeah. we all know that. when you work downtown,
2: meeting hand handlers. Oh yeah. And this is
3: almost a daily
2: occurrence. Sure. And one evening, one afternoon, I had to leave early for a doctor's
3: appointment, and I was working on something down to the last minute, and then I bolted out of the office, went down to the street, hopped on the dark train, and got to the third train station and realized I had left my wallet in the desk drawer at my office i had no driver's license no no money to buy a <laughs> ticket i had
0: gotten on the train <laughs> without a pass. And I, you're I, one of those I, guys I, and i had a long distance
3: to get home on the, and i'm found it, it, it during rush hour the, the train the dark cops yeah everybody. right and i just knew i was going to get a ticket and i'm just i just panicked and I didn't know what to, I became a panhandler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have a ticket, I don't have a money, I don't This this one man, a minority man, <laughs> handed me a five dollar bill. I couldn't even give the poor man change. <laughs> I couldn't even get his name. I just stopped. I had to get off. I bought my ticket. Went back to office. Got my wallet. But that
1: was so humbling.
3: I couldn't <laughs> get but my thought on this. Yeah. One time, and I'm going to use the term redneck, and I apologize if that offends people. I it haven't. does. So mean, I was Kind yeah. of redneckish about handling. Sure. I was like, get a job. You know. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden, I don't know. One day the thought had hit me, yeah. whether, how do you say it, the Holy Spirit or something, I wonder how many times I have played God. What I mean by that is, hand handers play us, and that's what I mean by playing God. Yeah, I hear you. How many times has God given me
0: gifts that I've wasted, squandered, sure. and yeah. my sin, yeah. and that
1: kind of made me more humble about
3: helping others.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank God for those moments of clarity, right, where it suddenly occurs to us that, uh oh, that's me right there, the beggar to God. Okay, so you know we want to, and then you think about Judgment Day, which we're talking about. um, Jesus saying to the believers and the unbelievers, "When you did that to them, you did the to the least you did it to me." So we want that kind of voice to also sort of roll around in our heads and show up, okay? Well, I, uh, I'm committed that we will finish Revelation before our Lord comes again. So I'm going to kind of, <laughs> not that I have any control over that, but but we're gonna, I'm going to finish reading this. The notes are kind of ex- self-explanatory, but I just want to feel like, oh, okay, we got something done today. Verse 14, they will say, the fruit you long for is, is gone from you. That's talking to the merchants. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors, and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth, and in one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens! Rejoice, you people of God! Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Stark difference, isn't there? The people that enriched themselves through this life, it's all about woe. But the Christian looking at it, who might be affected financially by that, can look at a greater place and can say through that eternity perspective, this is God at work. Okay? Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were your world's most important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who've been slaughtered on the earth. That's a picture of hell, by the way. Okay, it's a picture of hell. So you just think of it, at the end of the day, that's where idolatry leads. Because everything that is the fluff that surrounds it is perishable and does. There's no there's no lasting quality to it. And there's no spiritual depth to it. Okay? And yet, how does the Christian view that? How does the Christian view it? With relief. And we rejoice. Boy, was wow, that weird or what? Okay, let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the way that your word speaks to us. Albeit in a chapter like this, or albeit in a single phrase or a single word, your word speaks to us, our in into our hearts, and when our hearts and our minds have the opportunity to put that that word to use in in our daily life, that's when it really hits home. What hits home, Lord, is that at the end of the day, we are all beggars, we are all panhandlers of your love and your mercy and your grace. So help us, dear Lord, in our day-to-day walk with uh, each other and with the world around us to be mindful of that. Help us to see the spiritual and the soul in other people. And then help for that to, um, to guide us in terms of how we relate to each other, not just to the people that we know, but also the people that come our way or cross our path. So watch over this us this week, dear Lord. Be with us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.